Uh, Pastor Scott and I are uh, not just pastors, but we're church planters, we're missionaries, and so we really have um, a heart and a desire to lay a good foundation for the future for our church. So we've talked about this a lot, and uh, we want to take advantage of teaching the book of Acts to really go over some fundamentals of our Christian faith. And so for, since last week and this week and next week, I'm addressing uh, four of these as a start, and then Pastor Scott will take uh, uh, some of these same topics, and we're going to go even deeper and a little bit broader as we study the church together. Our text is, uh, church, uh, is Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and I want to begin reading in verse 40. Acts 2, verse 40. This is after Pentecost, Peter preached, and um, this talks about the conclusion of his message. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day, 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Last week, I introduced this study as church vitals. And when we look at the church, and vitals means that you have to have them or you die. Okay, that's what church vitals mean. It's vital. You have to have them or you die. And when we look at the church vitals, we see four of them represented here and highlighted by the word, the definite article, the. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I likened them last week to uh, recognizing vital signs in the, the human body. These vital signs are very important. They're the first things they check. Every time you go to the doctor, uh, if you go to the emergency room, or if the emergency personnel finds you on the side of the road, they're going to check these things. Your, your heart rate, your body temperature, your respiratory rate, blood pressure. They're going to just be monitoring those all along to know uh, how you are doing because they're representative of what's going on in your body, good or bad. Similarly, we have uh, activities of the body that are fundamental. And we, if we want to take care of ourselves, we monitor these activities, eating, sleeping, moving, and thinking because our brain is connected to our body. So we can use these vital signs that the Lord has given us to, uh, to check our own health, and find out if uh, our church is doing well. Vital signs, I think, is a good metaphor because the, the Bible says that the church is a body. In fact, it says it's the body of Christ. It says it in sim several ways like this. Jesus Christ is the head of the body, and just so 
we know what the body is. Paul defines it. It is the church. In uh, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 12, for one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, we were baptized into one body. And then Ephesians chapter 4, there is one body and one spirit. So this is a common metaphor that is used uh, for the church. When the 3,000 people, when they believed the message that Peter had given to them, the scriptures say they were added. Well, how were they added? And to what were they added? What was, uh, what, what was the group that they now belong to? They were added to the body of Christ. And consequently, they devoted themselves to these four vitals. They devoted themselves to these four vitals that we're going to look at more closely. If you look at this text, there's four, um, if you, we can break it down into four parts. First of all, with many words, and as pastors, we love that phrase, with many words, okay? With many words... Um, Peter bore witness, and he continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. That's the first part. Now, that phrase, save yourself from this crooked generation, is a summary of all the words that Peter said. So it's not like he said that a thousand times, save yourself from this crooked generation. It's a, it a summarization of his whole message. It could actually be a summary of the message that he preached in, that we have recorded in Acts chapter 2. He's telling all these people, you need to save yourselves from this crooked. And the word crooked is uh, uh, the idea of unjust, unfair, dishonest, a place that's dangerous for a a person of integrity, or a person with innocence, or it, uh, this is a generation that's a dangerous place. It's filled with liars. You need to save yourselves from that generation. Not only repent of being like that, but you need, to, you, you need a place of safety from that. So that's the first part. And the second part is they received his word. The word received is not used many times in the New Testament, but it's actually translated in other places in the New Testament as welcomed it. They welcomed the Word of God. They, they heard Peter's message, and they welcomed it and said, this, you know, we're going to take it in. This is a good word. We're going to take it in. And they, when they welcomed it, the, the visible sign of them welcoming the Word of God was that they got baptized. Now, I want to. I circled the word words and word because in the first occurrence it's plural. Peter used many, many, many words, and in the second occurrence it's singular because it's speaking about his message. Okay, and his message was save yourself from this dishonest, this crooked generation that you are uh, you're a part of and that you need to repent of. Now, we are people that are very vulnerable, 
and we've experienced the hostility of the world around us. We've experienced uh, people lying about us. We've experienced uh, broken relationships. We've experienced the hurt that that comes with just being in a in a group of people. We're in a nation that's very divided. Turn on the TV and you could just hear people arguing all day long. This is the way human nature is. We are a people that have been broken down by sin and division and uh, hostility, and we need rescue from that. Uh, there was a movie that was uh, put out by Disney a long time ago. I think it was in the 90s, and it, it flopped. But the song, uh, th- one of the songs in the movie did not flop. It en- ended up winning Grammy Awards. It's called The Prayer. Celine Dion sings it. It's hugely popular because uh, I don't know to who, who they're praying to, and it's uh, a lot of non-Christians like it, but they're praying for something that, is, that we all want as human beings. The line says, lead us to a place, guide us with your grace, and give us faith so we'll be safe. That's what human beings want. They want to be in a place where they'll be safe. Uh, they, and they know that they have to be led to that place. So, when the people of Is, uh, Israel heard Peter's message preached, they welcomed it, and they said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent and believe, be baptized. And so, we're going back to this text again. Once they were baptized, they were then added to the church. We're going to spend more time in the future on baptism and repentance and things like that. But what, I, what I'm wanting to point out particularly is that this group of people were uh, numberless and they weren't uh, a body until they believed after welcoming the Word of God and were baptized. And immediately... This group of people became part of a community that was committed to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Immediately, that became what their lives were all about. They were devoted to that. Now, we looked at the first one last week. What is the pastoral, uh, what is the apostles' teaching? What is the the apostles' authority? And we said that is all which has been handed down by word and example is the apostolic tradition. And they committed themselves to that, which means that they had to listen to the uh, apostles. They had to uh, hear what the apostles were saying. This was before you could get podcasts and blogs, and and it, it was before there was any kind of recording. So they actually had to assemble under the preaching of the apostles and the teaching of the apostles in order uh, to find out what the apostles were teaching. And they were strongly warned by the apostles to stay true to uh, the apostles' teaching. So that's a confessional obligation, and we're not going to look at that in depth today or even review it except just to say that. But naturally, what follows then is the congregational 
function. So they committed themselves to the congregational function. And what is the congregational function? That is the fellowship. Fellowship means participation. We're going to look at that a little bit more closely in a, in a moment. But it's, it, they engaged in the body in order to save themselves from a crooked and hostile generation. How do you do that? And what does that look like? And what is fellowship? Because a lot of people don't get fellowship. Because we are social animals. We need, even if we're an introvert, we, we have to be with people. Even if, uh, you know, we might think, well, I could just live my whole life without people. That's not true. We need to be around people. We need to socialize. And because socializing is such a, uh, an important part of our life, we sometimes call that fellowship. And a lot of people, even unbelievers, use the word fellowship. Man, we had great fellowship together. And you might hear it used for a Ph.D. program. I got a fellowship at Stanford, which means that you, got, you get paid to be in this exclusive study. So the word is very common, but that's not what we're talking about here in the New Testament. It's different. As a human being, I need to socialize because I'm a social animal, just by virtue of being a human being. But as a Christian human being, I need fellowship. More, more specifically, I need the fellowship that is being talked about right here. And what is the fellowship that the Bible talks about? The, the word is used, first of all, here in Acts chapter 2, but it's used about 20 times in the New Testament, and it is really clear that it is an exclusive group. It's not a word that can be used just by anybody. So the first thing we need to know about this word is that it is exclusive. Some people are in it, and some people are not in it. There are those who can truly say, I'm in the fellowship, and others who may say it, but in fact are not in the fellowship. Let me show you this in 1 John, where the word is used quite a bit. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have, here's the word, fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So the fellowship is with God the Father. And uh, the apostles, on their apostolic authority, that's what, who the we are, they're saying, we are writing these things. And John could be talking not just about himself, but also all the apostles. We're writing these things so that you can have fellowship. Now look what follows immediately after saying, now that you can have fellowship. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What is that? That is a statement of radical antithesis. You can't have light and darkness together. And this. Uh, radical antithesis is something that is not very popular in our day. We, want, we live in a day where people like synthesis, where they want to put everything together, or um, they, they want to mingle everything, where everything is inclusive. 
But here you have radical opposites. They do not fit together at all. Light does not mingle with darkness, and darkness does not mingle with light. So um, John says, if we have fellowship with him, verse 6, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The words around fellowship are light and darkness. Paul uses these words, 2 Corinthians, when he says that uh, what fellowship has light with darkness? What fellowship does Belial have with Christ? How can you have a, a participation of these together? You can't have them. They don't mingle. They don't work together at all. So there, there's a principle of exclusivity. You're either in or you're out. And uh, not only is there a principle of exclusivity, but there is, remarkably, a principle of inclusiveness. Look at uh, Acts chapter 2 again, and you'll see an interesting phrase, um, or an interesting word, I should say, that, that really stuck out to me. Because a lot of times when the New Testament talks about crowds, it talks about uh, men, in numbers of men. For example, in uh, John chapter 6, it said uh, 5,000 men were fed. But in this case, notice uh, uh, verse uh, 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's a word of inclusivity. In other words, as Galatians says, there is no male or female. There's no Greek nor Jew. There's no slave nor free. But all souls are invited to be a part of this fellowship. Anybody can be a part of this fellowship if they come to God through Christ Jesus. The third principle is uh, not only uh, exclusivity and inclusivity, but it's organic. They devoted themselves, is in the, the idea of a present continual tense to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And that fellowship is with a living head. Jesus is the head of the body. And fourthly, this fellowship is eternal. In Ephesians chapter 3, we have Paul referencing the eternality of this fellowship. Verse uh, 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So let me rehash those four characteristics of the fellowship. Number one, it is exclusive. It is only in and through Jesus Christ that you are in the fellowship. This is very, very important. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ gave us identity signs. And the identity signs are baptism and the Lord's table. That's how we say we're in the fellowship out there because 
it's only a matter of the heart, and only God can see the heart. And you cannot be a Christian and get baptized and not be a Christian and take the Lord's table. But when you, uh, and God knows that. But if you are a Christian in your heart, in your heart you're going to want it to be seen outside. You're going to want that identity to be shown that you are part of the fellowship. If you get a fellowship at Stanford, you get a ring or something like that. You get a brag about the fact that you're in the fellowship. Well, our public statements of being in the fellowship are the Lord's table, baptism, and the commitment to one another. But it's exclusive. You can only be in this if you are in Christ Jesus. It's so exclusive that the Lord uh, says, do good to everybody, but especially those that are in the household of faith. In other words, even when we're doing good, we need to be aware that there's one group that's not in and one group that is in. Secondly, it's inclusive. You don't have to be a Jew to be a part of this. You don't have to be a man to be a part of this or an American to be a part of this. But anybody that responds to the call of the Lord Jesus Christ can be included in the fellowship because once we are in Christ, there's no male or female, Jew, Greek, or slave, or bond, free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And thirdly, it's organic and dynamic. In other words, all of these one another verbs, that you, uh, actions that you see here are supposed to be the continual life of the fellowship. Forgive one another. Forbear with one another. Even although we should understand the context, kiss one another, okay? And uh, don't come up and kiss me because uh, I've got a bug. This is different and better than socializing. I've got uh, unsaved friends that I socialize with, but if they get tired of me or I get tired of them, I just don't hang out with them anymore. But with Christian people, I must forbear. I must forgive. I must bear their burden. I must stick with them, and I can't help but sticking with them because guess what? If they're part of my body, I'm part of their body because we're part of the body of Jesus Christ. So that's what I mean by it's organic and dynamic, and it it continues on. We forbear with one another. And then the fourth uh, characteristic of this fellowship is that it is eternal, indissoluble. It, It cannot be overcome. And this is very encouraging to me because I've had broken relationships and uh, I've experienced failure. I've experienced people within the church uh, turning away from me. I've hurt people because of my own sin. And yet, the fellowship, though hurt, is ultimately indomitable and eternal and will forever be healed because the head of the fellowship is Jesus Christ. So those four characteristics I'm going to leave with you.